But where are you really from? But where are you really from? Hi everyone, I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome back to another episode of But Where Are You Really From? Today we're talking about another cluster of hot topics that you guys love to listen to, which is anything controversial. <laughs> so we're talking about a number of controversial topics today under the umbrella of. As you may have seen in the title, are we all a little too sensitive? A lot of times with these very controversial topics, the headlines are always what's ablaze, and most people don't bother to read beyond the headline. Like most of the time, people don't even click into the articles to read what it's about. They just see the headlines and they feel a certain way strongly about one way or another. And as we like to do on the pod, we try to get a little more nuanced <laughs> with these discussions, break down if. There are multiple sides to the story where there may be validity in that because there's enough division in the world today. So I think even if you have different opinions, what we like to do is try to give some voice to multiple perspectives and see where there may be some common ground where a lot of people don't take the time to do that. So with that in mind, please keep an open mind as we go into some very controversial topics. The first thing is quite timely because the first episode that we rolled out was about the Gwen Stefani controversy where a while ago she said, I am Japanese. And talking about whether or not that is actually as controversial as headlines in the US largely made it seem. And in that episode, we did try to air the other perspective because I think for us as Asian Americans, we largely understand the controversy of why that might be problematic, but because especially I'm living in Asia right now and Japan, <laughs> like specifically. So we also try to air that side of like, why do Asians in Asia or honestly, most people outside of the US not see things as controversially. And what's funny is that we record this show as quickly as possible, and we already have live feedback from that episode coming out. So the reception you get on the internet is as you may expect it to be. But most people who bothered to write anything were on the side of the like, Americans are way too sensitive. Like that was most of the, the feedback we were getting. It was like, this is not a big deal literally anywhere but the US. Like, why do you guys have to make this a thing? And I get that point of view because I, I'm literally living abroad right now. But it was just funny because I, I guess the internet distorts things a bit because it's like the people who bother to take time to write comments is a whole skew of people. And then the internet is an interesting place because it is one of the only grounds in which you do get a more global perspective because there are no borders, you know, cutting off who can enter a conversation or not from a geographic standpoint. So it did skew more global from that standpoint. Dance. Yeah, I guess in the grand scheme of things, on a global level, in terms of newsworthy items, Gwen Stefani saying that she is Japanese is not exactly like Ukraine war level importance. And I definitely feel like some of the backlash is that where it's like, why do you guys even care about this news that's like semi tabloid? But I do want to say, like, all opinions are valid, right? Just like assholes. Everyone has one, an opinion, but not all opinions are correct necessarily. Is 
anyone gonna die because she said that? Is anyone's career gonna go poof because she said that? Do the Japanese people care? No, they don't. They don't care. It's their culture. Like it's so monolithic for the people who live there that like they're like Gwen Stefani, who is this person to lay claim to our culture? Like it's not. It's like in a non sequitur kind of situation where you're like so sure that this thing is centered for you that this other thing is just like not important. So yeah, like is it really earth shatteringly important that she said that? No. Is it insensitive in some aspects that she said that? Sure. Yes. It is interesting because you said everyone's opinion is valid, but not everyone's opinion is correct. But who decides if an opinion is correct? Because that that's a I think that's a problem in and of itself to view that an opinion can be wholly correct or incorrect. Because at least my view of it is that in most opinions. Unless it's based on just a complete denial of reality, there's probably some seed of realness or correctness to it, even if it's wrapped in a lot of bullshit. It's hard to say like something is completely wrong because what we talked about on that episode in particular is the main reason that people don't see it the same way as Americans, especially minority Americans, is that most people outside of the U.S. are not experiencing the minority experience. They are the majority. There was one commenter that he meant well, and he he actually started following our show, so it wasn't like a negative interaction. But he was like, "Yeah, I'm German, and I find it kind of." Annoying when Americans claim that they're German because they don't speak the language. They're like many generations removed, and I was like, I get that because America is a weird place because the Caucasian group of folks are largely European descent, but from so many generations ago that. Like most of them don't have any direct connection anymore to somebody who literally moved from that country or can speak the language or pass on the traditions or whatnot. But then when I asked him, like, but what do you think about German Americans, like ones who maybe they didn't grow up in Germany, but their family still holds on to the traditions, they know a lot about the culture, maybe they speak German, like those kinds of things. And he's like, what is a German American? Like it was just so funny because I was like, this is exactly the the you know the debate. It's like there's no ill intent there. It's just like a completely different way to view the world when you've never been in that position of being the minority. So it's just like unfathomable, and you think that this other perspective is kind of ludicrous because you're like, why do you have to take it so personally? Like most people were just saying, like it's not cultural appropriation; it's cultural appreciation. Exactly what we thought they would say, but they were just like cultural. Exchange requires people to take and borrow from other cultures to make new things. So how do you have cultural exchange if you're so protective of your individual cultures that you're not willing to let people touch it? Essentially, we didn't grow up the same way, and we we're not in the same type of position in society as the people who see it. In a different way, it doesn't mean their opinion is not valid or that there isn't correctness to their opinion, but it's based on their position in their society and the way that they see the world. Based on that, sure. So I want to clarify that what I mean by correct is that there's some self-evaluation, reflection upon the point. As well as consideration of the context in which is happening, and I think what I hear from those examples is just like, 
well, I feel a certain way about it. And I'm like, great. Why do you feel that way about it? We're having the conversation and we're, we're giving you the details of our opinions. Like we feel that way about it because there's this experience that we've had. There's a historical context of Asian people being a minority and being mistreated in the United States, whereby certain statements being stated can reinforce that. There's a context there. There's a lived experience. There's a self-reflection. But when you come and you're like saying, hey, I don't agree with this. That's a valid opinion. You don't agree. That's fine. But where is the pudding behind that, right? Like, you gotta give me more than that. I mean, to be totally fair, with this particular topic, the argument is, who are you to even be offended by this? You're literally not Japanese for most Asian people that are reacting to this. Like, even Japanese-American, right? Because we're the people getting offended largely are Asian-Americans as this monolith, a lot of people not Japanese. And then when you get really heated, because I... This topic does irk me, and it's very, like, internet-heavy, this conversation, is, like, Asian-Americans versus Asians, because I've literally had Asians get pissed at me through our podcast episode clips, where they're like, you're literally not even Asian, like, who are you to talk about Asian topics? Which is hilarious, right, on its own, because it also feeds into the type of feedback we got on the Gwen Stefani episode, is that outside of the U.S., ethnicity and nationality are like seen completely differently where outside of the US ethnicity is not really a thing that they pay attention to especially the majority population folks like yes there are minorities and ethnic minorities in China in all of these countries but 97% plus of those populations are still one ethnic group so they don't think about ethnicity they just think of nationality so when they tell me like you're not Asian it's because they're like you're American they're, like your nationality is US you grew up in the US how can you speak about what Asian people in Asia should think or be offended by or whatever. And I mean, it's hard to argue against that, like, especially if a Japanese person from Japan or like the majority of Japanese people from Japan are like, this is literally not a big deal. Like, who are you to be offended on our behalf? Because it's supposed to be us who are offended. I don't think there's no backing. It's just that that's their lived experience. I don't think that we were being offended on their behalf. It's just like an offensive thing for Gwen to do. Like, I don't think we had the episode being like, and we speak for all Japanese people and Asian people when we say that we are offended. Like, that's just our <laughs> experience at that point in time. But I think I kind of like agree with you on that perspective where people are like, well, you're not Asian. That's just such a binary thing that it's like, okay, so like, just because you think some person doesn't fit the bill of like what you envision a person to be Asian is that cuts you off from thinking about like what that person's perspective is or like what the history has been in the States for lack of a better term, all Asian people, right? So I just think that if you want to have an opinion about it, that's cool. But for you to just say like binary, your opinion isn't valid or your opinion doesn't matter and not have anything other than your opinion as the backing. I mean, that's that's the correctness I'm kind of talking about. Sure. However, <laughs> their opinion is valid in their country and in their society. Their opinion is not valid in reflecting Asian American experience in the U.S. 
Yeah, but we're talking about the Asian American experience in the U.S. Well, I think the topic was generally, is it offensive or not? That Gwen Stefani said this. That was the topic. So it depends. The answer okay. was, it depends. <laughs> like, if you're in the U.S. and you're a minority, especially an Asian minority, or sure. you're outside of the U.S., where in which, no. Okay, so if you're outside of the U.S., you could be like, okay, it's not offensive to us because Gwen Stefani really has no impact on our culture. Our culture remains largely the same it's like kind of like fan service to our culture fine completely correct opinion but you can't just be like it's not offensive and i'm japanese and that's the final say if we're talking about too sensitive things coming out of that is just like when people are very black and white closed or open and I think that's a route to like extreme sensitivity because when you're like invalidating someone's black and white opinion, they're like, oh, like that's like a personal attack kind of situation. This is the point of the episode is that we're trying to play devil's advocate on all these topics. Ultimately, when it comes down to controversial topics, it's because each side is thinking very strongly from their perspective kind of being the central perspective. So from the non-American perspective about this, of us being sensitive or taking it personally, this Gwen Stefani type, these types of comments, their view is kind of like, why are you gatekeeping culture like that? Especially if it's our culture, like if it's Japanese people or like Chinese people get mad at me all the time because we're of Chinese ethnic descent and we talk about these identity issues. A lot of people who commented about the Gwen Stefani episode, they were like, either I am literally from this country or like my teacher or whoever I knew was literally from this country and they loved that I wore a chi pao to my Chinese presentation. They appreciated that I wore this outfit. It was a sign of actually appreciating the culture or not that I was trying to like strip from their culture or like steal from them or whatever. Whereas a lot of times in the US, it is true that we cry wolf a lot on cultural appropriation, where it's just like, do you even have a definition really of what cultural appreciation is? Because a lot of times, especially for, we talked about headlines, right? Maybe it's not a headline. Maybe you just saw a photo and you saw a white person or a non-Asian person wearing a traditional something, chipao, kimono, whatever, and you don't know the context behind it. I think in the US, a lot of times the immediate jump is that's cultural appropriation. Like you don't even know what the context is of why they were wearing that. And like, if they had any good intent behind it, if they were maybe attending like a larger cultural thing with friends who are of that culture and trying to show respect and whatever. It's just like, oh my God, how could you wear that? That's so offensive. So from the non-American perspective, I can also see from their point of view where they're just like, you're just trying to like cut everyone off into these like very segregated groups where the cultures are very insular and you're not allowed to share or borrow from the other cultures. I, I can see that perspective too because a lot of people do jump to the immediate like that's not okay that you did that. Yeah and I'm not saying that those are not valid opinions. I think that again every opinion is valid and if you have, beyond just your statement of opinion, some other information you'd like to share about <laughs> why you feel the way you feel, 
I would be like, sure, I understand your opinion, and I may not agree, but like at least your opinion has some backing to it. But why don't you see people's opinions from outside of the U.S. when they're talking from their culture and they understand their culture best, like better than we would ever understand Taiwanese or Chinese culture being first-generation U.S.-born kids? Like they understand the culture more deeply than we do. Why isn't their opinion valid coming from the fact that they know their culture best and they know what someone? Showing a nod to their culture means to them and to their society where the culture originates from. Why isn't that a valid backed opinion? It is valid, but I think what's missing is for me the reason that I like, and maybe it's not the same for you, but the reason that I found like offense with that is because of the historical context of Gwen Stefani's career and like how Asian people have been treated in the past in the U.S. It ladders up to a different experience, right? What I'm saying is, if we're about trying to think about other people's perspectives and bringing a larger conversation around culture, then you can't just be like, "Well, it's my culture," and ignore the other component of it, right? All I'm saying is that we're doing this devil's advocate thing, and it's weird to like not ask other people to do that. You know what I mean? Like we always discuss. The topics like pro and con, like we try to dissect it from other people's perspective. So, like saying that they get a pass because they they live there, they grew up there, not having to think about a different perspective is weird. Before you jump into the fray with your two cents, like maybe think about what the other perspective looks like. I totally agree with that because the comments I enjoy the most are the ones where they say that may be true for Asians in the U.S. But for Asians in Asia, X Y Z, at least they acknowledge that like there's validity to the experience that we're talking about in the U.S. Versus the majority of folks are just like that's blatantly false. Like this is not true, and it's like oh, I'm, okay, well, you've clearly taken the time to try to understand a different perspective here. So. Next thing, this is an interesting one because I didn't even hear about this at all as a thing and as a controversy outside of Twitter. I feel like Twitter is always a place where everyone's trying to find beef about everything.、Um, Drag Queen Story Hour. Have you heard about the controversy around this? Maybe you can explain what Drag Queen Story Hour is first, its original intent, and then we can talk about the controversy. Okay, so I don't have any kids, so I've never been to a drag. Queen Story Hour, but a drag queen story hour is basically any person that is dressed in drag reading a children's book to children. Sometimes it's at a library, sometimes it's at a cafe, sometimes it's at someone's private home. Okay, so that's the original intent behind that. However, the controversy is that, especially the right side of the political spectrum, conservative side, has been getting quite riled up around the concept of drag queen story hour because they're conflating it with a lot of peripheral things that are happening. And I think a lot of times with these controversial topics, right? Things that get blown up in headlines are largely outliers, like not the the main thing happening around that topic. But there's a shocking video. Or like pictures or whatever that surface, and they're like, "This represents the whole thing." And so the controversy around this that's been floating around is that outside of Drag Queen Story Hour, there have also been a lot of schools around the country, the U.S. at least, based on photo video evidence, that are hosting drag shows at schools to try to promote having a more diverse viewpoint of the world and just kind of having a more festive or 
fun environment or whatever, right? But some of these videos are quite shocking because maybe not everyone who's listening has been to a drag show because I think people who have been, it's like you think everyone has seen one or like understands that world. But drag shows, I I have not been probably to as many as you have, but I've been to quite a few in my life and they range, right? Depends on, depends on the show. But the like most PG is literally just like people dressed in drag and they're lip syncing songs, right? In like a performative way. That's kind of the core of drag. But sometimes it does get quite provocative where whatever they're wearing could be pretty skimpy or whether or not the body parts are their own or prosthetic. There's like boobs kind of flying out, <laughs> like maybe partial strip teasing type things. So a lot of these controversial shocking videos have been floating around are drag shows that are being performed at schools, even to kids as young as like kindergarten, so like four or five years old, where the performer is like topless with like big boobs bouncing around and like dancing with these children or twerking in their face or whatever. And the controversy essentially is like, how is this appropriate? And the devil's advocate point that they keep trying to bring in is like, if this were just a, you know, cisgender female performer doing this, would you think it's okay? If not, why is this okay? So that's the controversy around it. And I I just want to acknowledge that it has like nothing to do with the original intent around Drag Queen Story Hour. It's just been like conflated with this concept, but that's the controversy. So my opinion, again, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. I agree with you. The Drag Queen Story Hour thing is completely separate because I think most people agree that like an actual Story Hour event is PG. It's literally just a person dressed in drag reading a book. That's it. I I think if we're talking about sensitive or too sensitive, like the sensitivity around that is way too high because it has been conflated with these other things that you're talking about. Now to the other things that you're talking about, I don't really know what is going on there. I would be very surprised if this was like something that was put on by the school without parental consent. Because I remember going to school, everything had a little boop, boop, boop. Your parents had to sign blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, but that's like 20 years ago, Jesse. I don't think either of us can speak to the current state of how schools are run. Parents weigh in, parents weigh in. But my experience obviously I'm an old old as fuck now so I'm very far from being a child but my experience being a child I was a child at one point in time is that parents had to weigh in on most of these things it's not just like school events just happen without parental consent my opinion here is that it's a question about parental consent almost not really a drag issue because like I would say like with 95% certainty no drag queen is like let me go perform at a fucking school like no one wants to do that like why would you want to perform in front of little kids and or teenagers who are like the worst people on the planet. So I just find it really weird that the performers are being attacked when they're probably being asked to do that, right? Like somebody is asking them, come to the school, do the performance. Like if you want to stop that, that's fine. But like a total ban on drag queens seems like Again, this whole like oversensitivity thing where it's just like, because they're here, we must ban all drag. Well, okay, if you don't want to have in the school, just go through the school superintendent, the school board and be like, hey, we don't want to have this in the school. Fine. 
But then, like, you want to ban it in, like, public places, you want to ban it in bars, like, that seems like a little bit of an overshoot. Yeah, so I think that's where this is, where we're drawing the line on the binary again on this particular topic, is there's a big difference between finding, let's call it sexually explicit content in front of children offensive, and generally actually being, like, homophobic, transphobic and being against drag of any sort. Those are totally different things. You had mentioned like it's an overreach to try to ban drag in like all public spaces, right? Like forget schools, like trying to go that far. That group is a whole different group of people, right? That group is the like, I don't agree at all with anything of the LGBTQ like rainbow. And so anything of that flavor, I'm just like adamantly against versus the group that is concerning this like particular space around where that meets with children and what is like appropriate for young children to see and experience. I just want to separate those things because transphobia, homophobia, those are real things, but I don't think everyone who finds this topic controversial or offensive is of that group because I saw an interesting thread on Twitter about someone arguing against all this stuff happening where he was like, I just want to make it very known that I would love a real drag queen story hour for my kids. He was like, I have kids and I would love for them to attend a real drag queen story hour where it's just someone dressed in drag reading them like a book and having fun. But he's like, that is not the same as what I'm seeing in these videos. And so he's like, there's a difference. It's not true or fair to call me like homophobic or transphobic or whatever when I'm opposed to the type of extreme content that is happening in in schools with children that is separate from Drag Queen Story Hour. I just want to make sure that fine line is drawn because a lot of times when there's any opposition to anything to do with the LGBT community, the first thing that people say is just like, oh, well, you're completely homophobic or transphobic or whatever, so I I won't even talk to you. Like, that's not even a question, but it's not always the case. I don't think that people in the community who really want to make a meaningful defense of drag think that about people, right? I I have seen a lot of YouTube videos from very famous drag queens, like people who've come off RuPaul's Drag Race, and everyone admits not all drag is for everyone. And a lot of performers are like, my drag is not for kids because there's lots of profanity, there's lots of explicitness in the show. Like, I think we are at a place where we can say, like, not all drag is for everybody. There are certain kinds of experiences and shows that are appropriate for children, and there are certain kinds of experiences and shows that are not appropriate for children. And I think the sensitivity element of it is just that, like, because people are so heightened by this idea that there might be something being exposed to children in a bad way, that this whole thing is now bad, and we must ban all performers and, like, public drag appearances. That's where I think the sensitivity has really kind of gone off the rails. I think most people will come to an agreement that there are certain experiences that children should be privy to and there are certain experiences that children should not be privy to. I agree with you. I think the majority of people would agree that Drag Queen Story Hour and its like original intent should be totally okay to be in any school across the country unless you're literally homophobic, transphobic. But 
the type of explicit drag performances where they're partially or fully nude or whatever and twerking in front of kids does not belong in schools. I think we agree on on that front and I feel like the sensitivity is coming from the group that has hijacked it, the group which is homophobic and does hate trans people and does hate gay people and that's where I feel like a lot of that conversation has really just gone off the rails because most I think reasonable people will be like yeah I, I don't think I would feel comfortable shoving boobs in front of like a five-year-old's face word Hey listeners, wondering how you can support us? The biggest way is by increasing our visibility by following us on Instagram at Where Are You From Pod, on TikTok at But Where Are You Really From, subscribing to our YouTube channel under But Where Are You Really From Podcast, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, and telling your friends. The more people we can get to listen to the show, the more we can continue spotlighting different perspectives and stories. And if you feel so inclined, we're also accepting donations at buymeacoffee.com slash where are you from. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> All right, we're getting deeper and deeper into the controversial hole. And now that we've already touched on trans topics, we're going to the mother of all <laughs> mother of all controversial topics of today's episode at least, the JK Rowling quote-unquote transphobic comments that she made a while ago and her I will say quote-unquote again cancellation around that. And this happened a while ago, so some of you might be like, "Why are you talking about this?" is like kind of a while ago. A very recent podcast series just came out called The Witch Trials of JK Rowling, where the podcast host tries to share kind of both sides of this controversy. And she actually interviewed JK Rowling for part of it and then interviewed like other people, you know, her readers and fans that like lost love for her because of this stuff happening, trans youth. She really tried to interview kind of both sides. And also the host is super interesting. I forget the like exact name of her group that she came from but the host of this show used to be part of like an extreme religious cult who like literally would boycott at Planned Parenthood and like these types of events to tell everyone they were going to hell because they're sinners. Is this the girl from Westboro Baptist Church? Yes! I just remember seeing her story about how she exited that whole thing but I haven't really heard much about her since then. Yes, that's exactly who it is. It is interesting because it's her family that that group is largely from. So she's like, when she left the group, she essentially cut ties with like a lot of her family because she left the, the cults. So she is super interesting because she's like, I really care about people being able to see both sides because as someone who came from like a super extreme perspective who lived and really believed what I was saying about like, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying, I'm doing this out of love that I don't want you to burn in hell. That's why I'm doing all of this. And then to be able to like kind of have the clouds part and like see the other side of things and come out as like a non-culty normal person in society. She really cares about being able to see both sides and having whatever truth may exist on both sides be kind of aired. So I thought she was a really interesting host for the series to choose and she did a great job of kind of showing both sides. Anyways, that's why it's top of mind is that this show literally came out. So that's what we're talking about. Jesse, I don't know if you want to recap. Yeah, 
Well, just that J.K. Rowling is known as a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So she is feminist, but she doesn't consider trans women to be real women. And I think that's where the cancellation is coming from. In a Twitter 140 character summation. Yes. So that phrase you mentioned is really interesting because I hadn't heard of it before the podcast and the acronym is TERF. And I forget who she interviewed on the show who's talking about it, but they were like, TERF is actually like a really offensive term in its like original characterization, but it's starting to get just like thrown around all over the place as like a normal thing. Anyways, I just found it interesting that that was like the TLDR that you chose to summarize with because I didn't know the term before the show. And It's worth mentioning because that's the term that is very thrown around with her and her being canceled when you know the series of occurrences happened i would say like she isn't fully canceled and also it's not a thing that's recessed in the past necessarily because jk rowling is still occasionally coming out with tweets or stances or support of other people who don't believe that trans women are women so it's not like she just said that once and and we're like forever canceling her for that one time but she has like reiterated that that's her stance and that's her position on trans women being women. I think I have a a slightly different perspective because I was listening to this podcast and it interviews her. So she was able to kind of say more than the 140 characters on Twitter. This topic is very controversial, right? Her position actually is that trans women are women and that trans women should be able to live their lives however they want and love whoever they want, whatever. She is pro-trans in that respect from like an identity standpoint, but where it's different is that she still believes that non-trans women need to have separate spaces, whether that be public bathrooms or like sports because of her lived experience and what she's seeing with violence from men or I guess people with penises if you want to narrow it into that world. There is this just that slight nuance is that I don't actually think she is a transphobe or hates trans people or anything of that sort. She just has a very staunch opinion about this particular subset of the world in which trans operate where it comes to public spaces and children uh, largely. Doesn't that nullify her statement though? If you're saying trans women are women but then you're saying she's scared of men well trans women aren't men. That's kind of where it's like she can say that but if she still claims that trans women are men then that's not then she doesn't believe it. Then she doesn't believe that they're women. I think a lot of the stuff with trans controversies are again in the space where what makes headlines is the outliers and so people get really riled up about the outliers that don't represent the majority of whatever's being talked about so in this case there are outliers that make really shocking headlines when it comes to trans people that don't represent the majority of the way trans people live or what they want to do in life or with other people or whatever. And so the controversies that really shock her and a lot of people are, I mean, it's just true that there have been several cases of men who are incarcerated who then later say 
that they are trans women so that they can get transferred to women's prisons to have a essentially a less harsh environment because prison is a really bad place to be in, obviously. And a lot of those cases have led to them raping cis women that are in the prison. There are other non-prison cases like that as well, where it's like the, the bar was so low on who gets to say they're trans, that then it's like any man who is not actually a trans woman can say they're a trans woman just to gain access to these spaces. I think that's something that she tried to really highlight in her opinion on the podcast, at least. She's like, I don't believe that trans women aren't women, but she's like, I do believe that any leniency in this kind of like public space world allows men with ulterior motives to have easy access to vulnerable women. So it's, again, the outlier kind of making the rule for the majority case, which may or may not be fair, but that is her position. It's not that she's afraid of trans, real trans women raping women. It's that there are many of these cases where it's literally just men who, I mean, and it's hard for, it's hard technically for anyone to debate, like, are they really a trans woman? But you can look at their specific cases and it's like, they never identified with being trans until suddenly they were in prison and they're not going through any hormone therapy. They're not going through any like traditional transition phases. They've just declared like, I have a female name now. I'm a trans woman and you have to transfer me or you're being bigoted. And then they impose violence on the women in their space that they now have access to. First of all, I want to start off and say like the sensitivity piece of it, because I think we were talking at top and you were saying how like JK Rowling has been given death threats. She's at upper security. Like, I don't think that's okay. And that's definitely like the other side of sensitivity where it's like, if you want to speak with your dollars, if you want to speak with your activism, that's all cool. That's all fair game. But I think that threatening somebody in that manner is not okay. And that should be clear considering the fact that the argument for why she is a transphobe is that the statements perpetuate violence against trans people. So no violence. No violence in any case. Listen, I can't speak for the trans community. Like, it's hard to say, but it can suck to be lumped in with outliers. And and I think if I try to think about it from, like, a gay person's perspective, like, you might have people who are, like, you know, there are some instances where people who are, like, let's say HIV positive, for example, have transmitted to other people, and people can use that as a reason for, like, all gay people are bad, all gay people are whores, like, they sleep with people and they make you sick kind of situation. So I just think that it's really difficult to hear that from a person who has had such magical influence, for lack of a better term, and who has such a broad audience to have that kind of statement. And I don't know, maybe she has had conversations with trans activists. I don't know. But like, even when you just said that, I was like, that's like very counterintuitive. Like, she thinks trans women are women, but then she still thinks they're men because they pose threats. No, that's not what I said. I said that she doesn't think that trans women would be the ones committing this violence. It's that right. the allowing trans women to be part of this space lowers the bar to let actual men use that as an excuse to gain access to women in a vulnerable place. So it's not that she thinks trans women are the ones, like real trans women. Sure. But what is a real trans woman? Does it satiate JK Rowling's comfort if the person physically doesn't have a penis? It's like this tricky place where it's like, who gets to decide what a real 
trans woman is and like why would necessarily someone fully transitioning make them not a predator like i think they're still equally likely to be a predator if they were before i understand her perspective she wants to make sure that there's no sexual violence against women overall right but then you kind of have to weigh that against like the group of people that is harmed by her perpetuating this idea that there might be some subset of sexual predators pretending to be trans women and therefore we need to segregate all trans women and i think maybe that's where it's like not balanced in her perspective i don't know if i've heard her acknowledge that i largely agree with everything you just said it's interesting because earlier when we we're talking about the asians in asia versus asian americans in the u.s you were talking about you can have your opinion but you should take some effort to try to understand the other opinion, right? Whether or not that changes your opinion is a different thing altogether, right? So in her case, because I did listen to this podcast, she said that before she ever wrote any of these tweets, I mean, she had an opinion before she wrote these tweets, right? Not everyone actually voices their opinions publicly. But before she wrote anything publicly, she said she really tried to understand the other point of view. So she said she read like a ton of books by trans activists and like prominent trans people to understand their lived experiences. So I don't think, at least in her case, she's the type that was just like, I'm just going to state my opinion and I don't care at all about your experience. I didn't bother to try to understand it. I think she has tried to understand it, but it doesn't change her opinion. And she does share that, I mean, we talked about this, right? Like everyone is largely centered. Your perspective is centered on you <laughs> and your experience largely. So it's hard that even when you can see some validity in another perspective, you're always still centered on you. And in her perspective, her point of view that she's coming from is that she has been a victim of sexual violence and domestic abuse and all these things. So she, it's hard for her to stray from that very core perspective that she's always working from, which is that I want to protect women and I don't want any violence to happen towards women. So she's coming from that view, even if she has taken the time to try to understand trans perspectives, it doesn't change that view because she has a stake in that game because of her own experience. It doesn't mean that I mean, I agree with you. It is it's really unfair that outlier cases that are only like a small percentage of what's actually going on in society get to dictate the rules of how the rest of the population has to live. I'm just trying to explain where I'm seeing her coming from. And I mean, her opinion based off of her trauma is valid. And I think the sensitivity that the trans community has towards her statements are also valid. This is a case where I think the sensitivity is merited because there is a question of serious trauma on JK Rowling's side and there is a question of potential serious harm to the trans community side because statements like that can perpetuate violence against trans people because people are like, oh, you're not really a woman or you're not really a man. So I think this is actually a case where the sensitivity is merited. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about your opinion on something related. It's a subtopic of one of the things that JK Rowling's like very staunchly, you know, has a strong opinion about, which is gender affirmation surgery in youth. I mean, my perspective is that I think as with all elective surgeries, 
there should be a period of successive escalation before that surgical intervention is done, right? So like, say you have some kind of condition, I feel like for the most part, what the medical community tries to do is to give you medication, give you different kinds of treatments to address that problem before they put you under the knife, right? Putting you under the knife is kind of like the last resort in a way, at least in my perspective. And I am very sorry if I offend anyone, but in my perspective, gender affirmation surgery, it's not really reversible. So I think it makes sense for people to go through a process of decisioning before they fully make that choice because it is irreversible. That's my opinion. That being said, I think about it from like the other person's side, right? And it's like, well, it's your bodily autonomy. Like you can't tell me if I'm gonna tattoo or piercings or whatever. I shouldn't be able to tell you how you want to do or do not do something to your body. So from that perspective, it's tricky to find like what is the right thing to do. Just like a, from a personal freedoms perspective, I feel like that's how it should work, right? Like nobody else can tell me what to do with my body. Like I shouldn't be able to tell someone else that they can't get gender affirmation surgery. Like people get their fucking legs extended i can't tell them that that's fucking crazy and not to do that like so from that perspective it should be kind of like green light if the person wants to do it are you talking about it from like a minor's perspective yes i feel like that's also a little bit tricky but it's still kind of like there's a model of consent right for a minor and it's usually like the parent will sign off and i feel like if that's the case like i don't really see how you can fairly segregate that model and as i understand it for minors it already kind of works like i described like they have to go through i think at least a year of therapy and there's the like choice to do like hormone therapy before doing like gender affirmation surgery so i don't think it's like you can just roll up into the clinic and be like change me now yeah and much like with all of these topics that we've been talking about it's the outliers that are making the headlines i do think that most medical environments are more the way that you described but i read a really interesting article written by somebody who is lgbt i forget if she's trans herself or she's married to a trans person but she's like i'm literally i live and breathe the rainbow i'm coming from the community and this is my perspective and she was like i worked at one of these hospitals that perform these surgeries. I was one of those people that was staunchly like, you can't tell a young person, a young trans person that they're not actually trans, that it's just some like mental thing that they're going through and there it's a phase that they'll get over at some point. That was her original opinion on it. And then she was like, and then I worked in this environment for several years where she saw that progressively things were getting kind of wonkier and wonkier. Her facility started kind of loosening things. She l shared like literal email correspondence where she like blocked out the people's names, but it's like a higher up being like, let's speed track this person, this youth towards like the surgery or whatever. And she's like, did you get clearance from the parents yet? And they're like, no, because the child doesn't want their parents to know and don't think that the parents would be supportive. So we stand with the child. So let's just or like they cut the number of sessions with the professional. So it was like no nowhere near a year's worth of sessions. It was like just a handful of sessions. And then the quote unquote professional was like, yeah, they're good to go, they're sure. And then they perform these surgeries. I mean, she wrote this article about it and she was like, I obviously quit because I was like, I can't be, I can't be part of this. Like this is damaging youth because you're not properly screening 
that they're actually sure that this is what they want. Because let's face the reality that like young people are very confused. Adolescence and puberty is like one of the most confusing times in being a human being because you're going through so many changes hormonally literally and that affects the way that you feel the way you think and the way you see your body and what you love or hate about yourself like that's all a very big part of that part of your life and I for one made a lot of stupid decisions and thought a lot of stupid things when I was a kid that when I look back on now of like if I had made some irreversible decision based on what I thought back then, I mean, I would still be traumatized from it. So I understand why there's such a strong backlash to this because there are talks of shortening that time span or loosening the like guardrails on that process. And there are actual places that are already kind of loosening the the pipeline there. I think it's funny because all my news has been like statewide bans on gender affirming care for trans people. I think my opinion is the same, which is that like, first of all, that example is bad. That's medical malfeasance. You cannot bypass legal consent unless the person is like emancipated or something like that. I think that generally speaking, if the procedure, like the process is agreed upon by the general medical community like the ma does have like specific standards for stuff like that that is what should be followed if there's a situation where the rules are being changed for politicized situations i think that's bad we should not change a medical process that has been created that people agree is fair that people agree gives people time to decide on this very big choice in their life as a minor we shouldn't change that for political reasons. And yeah, I think maybe the sensitivity piece is because there are situations like that where there's medical malfeasance. That's a different problem. If people are not following <laughs> consent procedures and things like that, we should find those people and make sure they don't practice medicine, but not like stop or change how care happens for everybody else that is going through the system. We should figure out who the bad actors are and excise those people, but we shouldn't necessarily be like, the whole process is rotten. We need to like stop this immediately. Like we have to find the bad actors, remove them from the equation, and then things will go back to normal per, you know, that example that you were talking about with, with this person. Something happens somewhere along the way where either it's a medical profit that was, let's say, prioritized ahead of what is best for the patient or something like that, but those actors should be removed rather than to say the care is not appropriate necessarily for the minor. Yeah. Once again, the outlier speaking for the majority here, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, the hard part, I guess, for me in thinking about what you just said is that the target may be moving. Like, the way you described it makes total sense to me, but what happens when what is agreed upon as the, like, normal thing to do is, like, three months and you're allowed to have a 14-year-old go through gender affirmation care and it's like oh who are you to say that's not the best way to go since we were able to change all the laws and this is like what the law says now let's say there is a situation where the medical community in general agrees that there should be a shortened timeline because it's proper it's fine they feel like it should be okay for sure i'm sure there will be tons of people who are uncomfortable with that and and that's fine 
there's still a consent framework there, right? Like your child still has to get consent from you. Like that part is intact. It's just about like, once we have the proper consent, what does the process look like for your child? I think it that's normal, like that people will be uncomfortable with stuff changing. Like that's just the nature of change. But I think that as long as there are proper consent pieces and everyone understands what is happening, there shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say something controversial, the whole theme of this topic. I mean, it's my opinion, so doesn't mean it's right. It's, it's just my opinion. For me, I mean, I support trans people and I think you should definitely live the life you want to live. And you like, if you are an adult, let's say over, I'm gonna say over, I wanna say over 21, because I just think of the way that I thought about the world and stuff up until at least that age. And honestly, I was pretty stupid still at 21. But if you're an adult, who can think for themselves, you've gone through puberty, you've already formed a certain sense of self, and you definitely want gender-affirming care to fully realize your identity that you feel you are already, you know, you are. Go for it. Live your life. For me, the children aspect is what's really hard for me to support. I just don't think that, like, chemically in your brain you're able to make those kinds of life-changing decisions when you are of a young age because you don't actually even understand the consequences. We didn't talk about this, but it's also part of the whole thing is like detransitioners, the people who did go through gender-affirming care and later decided like, actually, I made a huge mistake and I want to go back to the gender that I was born. And they have their own journey that they've been going down. And a lot of people try to silence their stories because they think it hurts the overall trans rights, which is like a whole other controversial thing on its own. But anyways, just want to try to minimize the regret that people have potentially later on, right? Because anyone can make mistakes, but when you're young, especially is when you make I'd say the most mistakes because you just don't know what you don't know so like a lot of the detransitioner stories are like I didn't understand what being infertile means I was like 14 you tell me I can't have babies in them anymore like I don't care and then they grow up they're 18 20 and they're like oh fuck I can never be a mother in that way, you know? And it's irreversible from that perspective. So it's just really tough because it's like, I, I really want to support anyone who wants to live their life in the most authentic way to them, but I really personally believe that they should make that decision when they're adults. For sure, like once a person turns 18, like I have to revert to what I was saying at the beginning. Like you can't say what I can do with my body. I can't say what I can do with your body. I think that's just fair to say it like that. I think with a minor, I see your perspective and I totally understand what you're saying, but let's assume that the, the process is there because the medical process is fairly complicated. You have the right consent. Everyone knows what is happening. They've been told what the potential consequences are. If you have regrets, see, like, you made the decision. It sucks. But if you have your parents who could say no, if you have medical professionals counseling you, if you have a year's worth of therapy, people telling you, like, are you sure these are the consequences? You made your decision. You're a child though. That's really tough because it's not the same topic at all, but it's like, for me, when I hear that, it reminds me of when there's like sexual violence against a child 
and maybe it's like a quote-unquote consensual relationship right between like an older person and a child i'm not talking about lgbt i'm talking about like in general children who have relationships with older people when they're minors you can argue like you made that decision and like sometimes the parents do know it's not always actually hidden from the parents sometimes they do know and they're like that's fine and then later when they're adults and they realize how fucked up the power dynamic was and like things that may have happened in that relationship they're like why didn't someone stop this i was 16 or 15 or whatever like how could i possibly have made the right decision when i didn't even understand what this all meant or the consequences on my psychological state and like how i see relationships and sex in the future and like all that stuff and w in those respects it's always seen as like yeah you were a child it shouldn't have been on you to somehow have an adult's perspective to like make your own proper choices like you may have thought you had like the full picture and you were making like an informed mature decision back then but you don't realize that till later when you've had time to process what really happened what decision you really made there so I know it's not at all the same thing it's just the same the first thing that popped in my head because it has to do with minors who think they're capable of making mature or life-altering decisions that later realize they weren't in a place to make that decision. Yeah, I hear you. I just think they are minors, but we also have to be careful in respecting that they are also people and they also have the right to make some of their choices for themselves, provided that they are like legal choices guided choices. I understand that what you were saying is it's completely different. That the situations are a little bit different because maybe the parents in that bad relationship situation do agree, but a relationship between a minor and a someone that is of legal age is generally illegal as opposed to putting a person through a medical process which is legal. There is a if you want to say in a perfect situation, there is an objective third party being the, the medical services that the person is getting, guiding that person through the journey. So I think there is a little bit of a difference in terms of the kind of support that they're getting and the knowledge that they're being given about their choices. And you can still say like, they totally don't get it, but I, I, there is like a t the tension there, right? Like I, I think we still have to respect that people under age can make certain decisions of their own and it's a slippery slope to take away some of that agency to be like you can't make this decision because i think then it becomes like okay well what other decisions can't they make like like why do we get to pick all of the decisions that they can make it's it's a little bit tricky for me yeah any who's hey. friends listeners are you triggered how triggered are you right now don't be triggered we didn't say anyone was wrong we hope this encourages Allah encourages you to go down your own self-reflection journey about your opinions and thoughts about controversial topics and we hope that this will spawn conversations between you and your friends about controversial topics so that you can learn from one another yes and ultimately one of the things i learned from my couples therapist <laughs> is that you can have different opinions and still respect the other person enough to hear their very different opinion from you while you still hold to your own opinion. Just because you listen to someone doesn't mean you agree with them and doesn't mean you're validating that their opinion is the correct thing. It just shows a little bit of respect to try 
to hear a different perspective while still strongly whatever holding your own if that's still what you want or think is right in the end so I think she she's right and we should we should aspire to that even though it's a very hard and also let us know which one of these topics do you think is overblown like people are way too sensitive about or you have another one that you think that has recently been on the news cycle that is just like way out there and you don't know why people are so up in arms about it let us know chime in on the comments reach out to us on the socials and come back next week because we will have another episode for you then and until then side bitches, bitches.